You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. This week, we have an assortment of topics to cover, one of which is what the weather is doing right now and what you need to be worried about if you're going to fish this weekend. So let's talk about that first. We had the last front that blew the water out. It it has stayed out for a a good bit. Not crazy low, but low enough. And Monday, if you got to go fishing Monday, then uh, I'm very jealous. I got invited to fish Monday by my buddy Mark. I couldn't make it happen. Nora has had the flu all week. She's been home all week. Sarah and I have been juggling that whole thing. So I could not fish on Monday. And uh, I had a lot, I had a ton of stuff going on at work anyway. So if you got to go on Monday, I know you probably killed it because I saw all of my buddies that were watching the weather that did make the right call and they went fishing and just slayed them. The low water, the no wind, the sunny sky, ugh, those are the days we're looking for right now. You just have to look and pick those days and do whatever you got to do to try to make it out on the water on those days because we don't get a ton of them, but when we get them, those redfish are going to be sunbathing up shallow and they are going to be prime for the catching as it proved to be on Monday. We're going to get days like that all the way through January and probably some in February. February is just a a gray blob on the on the weather map. And so January is really the ticket there. But the pattern is just going to be shallow Looking for rafts of small finger mullet, searching out redfish that are tailing for crabs, that are feeding on mullet. That's the game. It's nothing new. We've been talking about it, right? It's going to be that way through uh, the end of February. Uh, now, everybody's asked me, Is was that cold front that came through, was it the cold front you've been talking about? No, it's not. Is this cold front coming up this weekend going to be the one I've been talking about? No. It's not. Here's why. The water is going to blow out. So right now, as I sit here, the east wind is blowing pretty good. It's due east. That is going to pump that water way up. I haven't looked at it, but my guess is that it's going to get up around the two-foot mark uh, over MLLW. I'm, I'm going to look at it right now. Pulling it up. It's Wednesday evening uh 7:25 p.m. and we are at 1.88 above MLLW. So I was close. So water's being pumped way up. What's going to happen? All those mullet and all those little baby crabs and all that stuff are going to go right up there with it. And they're going to be up there tomorrow. And they're going to be up there Friday. And then probably Saturday morning. But the wind is going to start really blowing Friday and Saturday, but it's going to be a northeast. It's not really going to affect the levels, may even pump them up a little more. But that northwest is going to start blowing 
Saturday night to Sunday morning, it's going to blow all the water out. We got a strong northwest wind coupled with an outgoing tide. Trust me, the marshes are going to dump on Sunday. And if you can stand it, probably be a pretty good day to fish. If you can manage, uh, maneuver your boat safely in those conditions and, you know, gear up clothing-wise, it'd probably be pretty good. Uh, So I encourage you to keep your eye on that. Just because it's going to be miserable for you doesn't mean it's going to be miserable for the fish. Now, once it's gone, the the reason that cold front is not the one we're talking about is because is because of the temperatures. So the cold front that I'm looking for to really signal the hardcore winter is going to be that one that we all worry about our pipes freezing. The one that we go, oh no, it's actually going to get down to freezing or close to it. And we've got a strong northwest wind that's going to blow. That is the one that's going to change the water level long for more of a long period of time. And it's going to affect water temperatures enough to where uh, the fishing in the marsh is just going to change. You're either not going to be able to get back to the marsh in a lot of places, and you're going to have to fish more uh, open lake, open bay, main, main structure type stuff. And you still stay shallow. Like I said, the redfish don't care. I mean, they're going to adjust to those temperatures and they're going to be moving up in the, in the shallows. It's all good. But... Uh, it is going to suck all the water out of the marsh, and that change in temperature makes those finger mullet leave. And so they'll be fewer in number. It's going to make it harder to fish, but we don't have to worry about that yet. That cold front, from what I can tell, looks like it's going to be more of a early to mid-January kind of thing. So we've got some good fishing ahead of us if we can find uh, the days where the wind isn't too bad. Here's something that's about to get introduced into the puzzle, and we've already had a couple of days like this, but the fog is about to show up really bad, and here's why. Let's just go through fog, okay? Let's talk about the two different types of fog. You have uh, the less dangerous type of fog. It's called radiation fog. Basically, the earth cools and heats three times faster than the water and the temperature disparity in mostly in the early mornings can cause there to be uh, fog in the air it's usually kind of more of a higher fog it's a fog up off of the ground and it burns off the sun radiates it off Uh, that's why it's called radiation fog and It's usually not that pesky of a problem when you're out on the boat. The other type of fog is the kind that we get just ridiculously thick uh, this time of year through some of the winter months, and it's advection fog. Advection fog is caused by warm, moist air moving over uh, colder surface temperatures whether it be land or water. If you've got water temps in the high 50s and then all of a sudden you're hit with a a day that has temperatures in the in the 70s, you're going to have advection fog if the wind is low enough. Now the wind in a lot of cases if it's not strong, 
if it's just a breeze, it can shove that advection fog up and bunch it up together and it'll clear some areas, but it will make other areas really, really bad. I have been on the water uh, with some of the worst advection fog I've ever seen and uh, I was just pulling around and I heard two guys talking and realized that there was a boat fishing within casting distance of me. We could not see each other. We could hear each other. That was it. If you find yourself on the water in that type of a condition, I implore you to not run your boat wide open across the flat. Even if you've been across that flat a million times, even if you've been down that canal and channel a million times, there could be someone sitting there. You're not going to see their 360 light. Uh, It's just a dangerous condition. And so you have to go slow. You have to putt everywhere you want to go when you're in that stuff and just be really careful. But advection fog, the only way it goes away is uh, when those temperatures level out, when the ground kind of heats up and gets closer to that air temperature or the wind kind of blows it off. But you'll see it. If you pay attention to it, you'll see it hang around. And if the wind starts blowing, it'll hang around all day and the wind will just push it from place to place. So you really got to be careful with that kind of stuff because that is that is the stuff that'll get you. That radiation fog is usually gone by 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. That advection fog doesn't care what time it is. It's going to be there. So pay attention to that. Be careful when it comes to that. And avoid it if you can, but I'm not going to tell you to stay off the water. If you're careful then and you know what you're doing and where you're going, you can safely navigate it. You just have to really baby that throttle because those boats don't come with brakes. I'm trying to, I'm going to talk to Brian and see if I can get, you know, if we can get some brakes added to that skiff. That would have saved me some trouble thus far, but he's probably already working on it, I'm sure. Now, one other thing weather related, uh, what if you get caught in a thunderstorm? What if you see lightning in the distance? How do you judge that? It's five seconds. That's how long it takes the sound to travel per mile. So you see the lightning flash, you count uh, the seconds that go by, and then you divide by five. So if you made it to five seconds, that's one mile between you and that storm or you and that lightning strike. Uh, So, and what I mean is you see the strike, you count the seconds, and you hear the thunder. When you hear that thunder, stop counting and then divide by five. So if you got to 10 seconds, and then you heard the thunder, that lightning is two miles away. If you got to 15, it's three miles away. 20, it's four miles away, right? So uh, what that should tell you is that many times the storm is a lot closer than you think. And just because it looks like it's far off, you probably need to get out of there sooner than later. We've learned that the hard way a few times. So keep that in mind this time of year as you're tooling about and Quit throwing topwaters. I tell you what, I say that I'm probably going to throw it again, but I'm going to throw one of Kevin uh, Kevin's wake baits. That's going to be my go-to. I uh, had not planned on throwing a topwater last time I was out, and so I didn't have uh, the box of his wake baits with me. But when we go out tomorrow, 
you better believe I'm going to have them with me because I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. It will probably be a plethora of a bunch of different stuff. And so I'm going to be prepared for that. But most of what we're going to be doing is in the shallows, throwing paddle tails. It's going to be too windy tomorrow to fly fish. And so uh, we'll be doing it just with conventional tackle. Now, if uh, I, I've been getting questions about bookings. Am I still booking this time of year? Yes. But if you want to book a trip, it's going to be less of a, hey, let's nail this date down and it's not going to move. It's going to be more of a, hey, let's aim at this day or this day and let's check the weather and pick a good weather day to make sure that we optimize our opportunities and have a really good day on the water. Like if I had a client booked for tomorrow when I'm going out just fun fishing, if it if I were fishing with a client tomorrow, I would tell them, listen, uh, the conditions are going to be tough. We were probably going to catch some fish, but you got a lot working against you tomorrow. You've got uh, one thing that's working for you. It's we're prefrontal. We're kind of early in the prefrontal frontal pattern, though. Usually, prefrontal fishing is good. Uh, one tide cycle before the front hits, so you can say twelve hours. It's usually more like eight. That's when it's really good. Tomorrow, we're a little too early for that. We've got an outgoing tide that is going to marry up with a an east wind and that east wind is going to fight that outgoing tide and probably slow it down a considerable amount which means we're not going to have the kind of tide flow that we really want to get these fish fired up but we're going to go anyway and see what we can do that's why if you want to book a trip this time of year Let's discuss it. Let's discuss what kind of fishing you want to do. If you're just like, this is the day I got. If life gives us lemons, we're going to fish for redfish anyway, right? If that's the case, then come on, let's go. As long as your your attitude is right about it and uh, you are ready to just pick up and learn something uh, on how to battle some of these tough conditions, then cool. I'm game for that. I just don't want to... you know, not live up to someone's expectations because they wanted to fly fish. And here we are in 20 mile an hour winds with a slow tide. So, and overcast conditions. So that's my little speech on that. I'll tell you what, guys, I'm dealing with something here. I'm having a hard time. For some reason, I have been wanting a dog. I know I am not a dog person. Here's the thing. I had a dog when I was younger. We had a family dog. It was a little uh, like Cocker Spaniel or something like that. Its name was Champ. I never really bonded with that dog, but I have a thing with, I don't like little dogs. I don't like little fluffy uh, feminine looking dogs. I like a tough looking dog or I like a hunting hound or something like that. And so my grandfather, my pappy, he had a couple of mutts, mixed breed uh, cow dogs, and he had a red bone hound that was mixed with something else. I don't know what. 
That dog's name was Tank. That was my dog. I bonded with that dog. I loved that dog. That was when I was a kid. I grew up. I had my own kids. My twin boys that are now 16, they're allergic to dogs. But it has been getting better over time, which is why I don't want an inside dog. I want an outside dog. Uh, I'm, I want to build them the doghouse and, and, you know, make sure that they're all good and we'll bring them inside whenever it's really cold and do all that stuff. But I want a dog that I can put on the skiff and go fishing with me twice a week. I want to, I want to take that dog squirrel hunting, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But I've always been so, uh, anti dog mainly because the, the kids were allergic. There's part of the thing too, when your kids are allergic to something, you create in your own mind a kind of a repulsion towards something. Like I, I wouldn't even pet other people's dogs because I was so afraid I was going to touch one of the twins on the on the head or the cheek or the shoulder or something, and they were going to break out into some kind of rash, which they had done before. So I was hyper aware. Well, here's the thing. The twins, when they're here, they're 16, so they're gone all the time. They're blowing and going. They're driving everywhere. Uh, Reed's got a job. Bo's heavily involved in golf and, and, and volunteering at the church. And and so it's not like they're home a ton or at my house a ton. When they are, it wouldn't matter. The dog would be outside. But my wife is not for this idea. She loves to travel. She doesn't want to have to deal with that extra burden of getting the dog watched or boarding him, whatever. And there's just a few little things like that. And I know all those things in my head, but I just, for some reason, I have wanted a dog. I want a Visla. Uh, I think is how you say it. A Visla. I don't know. It's a reddish colored hound looking dog, short hair dog. Anyway, it's kind of a little tangent. If you know anything about Vislas or you know, whatever, you can secretly message me because uh, I'm all the research I'm doing about it, I'm still hiding from my wife <coughs> because she she really gave me the no. And she doesn't usually tell me no. We have a pretty good understanding. Like, you know, I don't tell her no. She doesn't tell me no. If we really want something, we usually get it. But this is different. Uh, this is different. So I've employed the little kids. I've got Benjamin and Nora uh, harping on her case. And I'm also just learning self-control, how to tell myself no, that I don't need this and wait to see if this urge passes because getting a dog is like, it's like a 15-year commitment. I mean, it's not a small, I've been married to Sarah for 15 years. That's a long time, you know, so I, uh, I want to be metered and careful about it. But I bring this up because um, I think part of this Part of the reason I'm having this problem is because uh, my buddy Ray, Ray, I know you're listening. He had a litter of uh, little lab puppies. Uh, my buddy Scott Noel had a litter of uh, puppies that I don't know what kind they were. I was at his place last time after they had just had that litter. Um, and then Carrie Beeson on the Salty Yak Outdoor Podcast did this whole thing on how to how to pick a puppy and do the puppy test. So maybe it's a world I'm living in. Maybe I'm being inundated by by this thing. So I'm going to hold off. I think I really just needed to speak it out loud. I needed to vent to you guys and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. 
maybe it's not the best idea. I'm going to hold off and wait and see what happens because I, I can't, I can't have an inside dog. I can't have a dog that sheds a ton. I need a dog that would be on the outside. I don't have a huge backyard. It would definitely have to work into my life a routine and a habit of walking that dog, exercising that dog, taking that dog fishing and hunting and all that stuff. But that's part of the reason why I want it uh, because I, I think I need that kind of a routine. So I also may be crazy. I also may be uh, dealing with the fact, this is what one of my buddies says, uh, I'm dealing with the fact that my twins are getting older and they're getting ready to fly the coop. I know they're only 16, but they're going to be 17 in a few months. And then this year's going to end, uh, this you know school year's going to end in May, and then they start their senior year of high school. And I've al- I already feel like I've kind of lost them a little bit. So maybe I'm dealing with that. Maybe this is a cheap therapy session uh, that you guys are allowing me to uh, to do here over the podcast. But I'll let you know if I end up with a dog. If I end up with a dog and I get to keep the wife, that will be. Then you'll know I'm good. You'll know like I've, I can I can sell anything at that point. So. We'll see what happens. I got a birthday coming up on Monday. I'm going to be, is it Monday? Yeah, Monday. I'm going to be 41 years old. And so I bought myself a birthday present. I had been wanting the uh, decked truck bed cargo system. Uh, You can check it out at deck.com or whatever. I think that's what it is. Anyway, they make these truck bed drawer storage systems. And I punched in that I had a Tacoma, the year, make, model, all that stuff. And I bought the system. I bought it a month ago. It took a month to get here. And it was perfect timing because I was home. I was working from home because Nora was sick. And it came in yesterday. So showed up about 1 p.m. Well, it takes a little bit to put in. I would say it takes probably mm, three hours minimum. It says you're supposed to have a buddy helping you. I didn't. I just did it by myself. You can totally do it. But it is awesome. I love it. It seems to be a well-made product, and it's Everything I wanted it to be, it's revolutionized the way I use my truck because I had my the back seat of my truck has two car seats in it. It has barely enough room for someone with a really skinny rear end to sit in the middle. But I always have my tool bag in there. I've got, you know, work gloves. I've got tie-down straps laying on the floorboard. It's a mess. So also show up somewhere and I need my tools and I didn't bring them or brought my tools to nine places that I didn't need my tools. So I got it. I got it all organized. I got it set up. Uh, It's quote unquote organized. I've got quite a bit of organizing to do, but I just threw it together because I put it in last night. But I tell you all this to say it's a really good product and I had issues. I got it all done, all set up, ready to go, went to close it. It wouldn't close. Could not get it to close. And, uh, you know, after you've worked on something for three or four hours, and I've had to stop four or five times, stop to cook dinner, stop to pick up Ben, uh, stop to do all these things, I finally get it done, 
Sarah's putting the kids to bed and doing her whole. She kind of takes over and does her whole bedtime routine with all with the kids and everything. I'm out there and I can't get the thing to close. And it's eating me. And Sarah's done putting the kids to bed and it's time for us to sit down and visit about the day and, you know, watch a little TV together or something. And I can't shake it. I cannot. I'm just like, she's like, what's wrong? Is something bothering you? I'm like, yeah, I can't get that drawer system to shut. And I've been through the instructions like eight times. I took it back apart in some some respects to look at it, to try to get, and I'm pretty handy with my tools. Like I'm, I'm no MacGyver, but I'm pretty good with a set of tools. I, I know how things work. I have mechanical inclination that uh, I got from my dad. And so I'm just like, I can't stand that it stumped me. So I poured a glass of whiskey, went out in the garage, I was on the phone with my buddy Pat and uh, get done talking to him. By this time, it's, you know, 10, 30 at night. I go back out there one more time. I'm like, because I wanted to use it the next, the, today. I had I had stuff I had to go do and I needed to throw a bunch of tools in there. I was going to go work on the Baytown house and I, I needed that to, to work, you know. So I go back out there and I look it over again. I can't figure out what's up. I pull the drawer out again. I look at the parts. I check the things to make sure I didn't mess anything up. It's all good. So now I'm mad. So I put the drawer back in and I just slammed the crap out of it. I just shoved it and it closed. And now it closes every time. So moral of the story is if you buy one of these systems and you have a hard time closing it, give me a shout. I'll come slam it for you. Uh, Let's get into our Bible tidbit. Hebrews. Hebrews is my favorite book of the Bible because it is all about the supremacy of Christ and it does a beautiful job of marrying the Old Testament and the Mosaic law into the new covenant, into grace, into Christ as our uh, priest head and uh, all those things. I think it does just a beautiful, magnificent job of of merging those two uh, aspects of Scripture. And so, a cool thing that you'll notice here is in Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to read this to you. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Who were the prophets? Prophets were Isaiah. Ezekiel, Micah, Obadiah, Malachi, uh, Jonah, several others, right? They were the prophets. Some of the books in the Old Testament, you'll notice they have names on them. That's usually a prophet, either a major or a minor. And so God spoke to his people through prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All right. So, back in verse 2, it says, In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. All right, his Son. If you go then to John 
chapter 1 in the New Testament. I'm scrolling there now. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. That has a capital W on Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, meaning Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's basically saying Jesus was not born uh, in, in a cosmic sense. He was born on earth when he came to earth, but he has existed as a part of the Godhead, the Trinity, since forever infinity into the past and into the future. He's always existed. God did not create him. He has always been a part of God. He's always been God, God and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a tough concept to wrap your mind around, but what I'm trying to say is Jesus has always existed. And God chose to speak to his people through the prophets before Christ came and lived and died for our sins on the cross. And in these last days, he speaks to us through his son, whom the book of John also says is the word, God's word, what we would consider scripture. And also there he's talking about God's actual spoken word. So I thought that was a pretty cool connection. Uh, so that when you think of Christ, you think of him as having always existed as part of the Godhead and as someone who stepped down off of his throne in heaven to be born in humble means as a baby in a barn to live a life full of persecution and hardship and ultimately sacrifice his life on the cross to forgive us of our sin. And he is the means. He is the word. He is the way in which God speaks to us in these last days. So, I hope that you have a fantastic week. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at emptystringers at gmail.com. Instagram is empty underscore stringers. TikTok is empty stringers. And that'll about do it. Go check out the Paddler's Playbook. Drew Turner and I got to speak at the CCA North Texas chapter Christmas party. What a blast. I thought... Uh, Drew did a fantastic job. We brought his kayak. I pulled my skiff up there. It was super fun. I would love to go do it again. I had a blast. So that was fun. If uh, I got to meet you there, uh, there was a fellow there named Mark. I did not get to spend uh, enough time with him. I wanted to visit with him, but we just were on a packed schedule and there were lots of people um, coming up to talk. So Mark, enjoyed your company there, my man. Uh, we will catch up another time soon. So hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you. We'll see you soon.